Amen. Amen. Thank you. I think as we open God's Word, we have an expectation that God is here by His Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's two of you. Wonderful. It says when two or three are gathered, I'm in your presence. And He says, Lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. And I really believe that. And maybe you're watching at home and uh, you're listening along. I, I think the same Holy Spirit that works in us is working in you too. Amen? I want to do a bit of uh, teaching this morning. Um, it's been on my heart to talk about the cross and what the cross means. And um, I'm going to jump to uh, Colossians 2 in, in a moment. Um, but let me just start off by giving a little bit of introduction, if you like. Let's just pray. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we understand and get to know what your work on the cross did for us today. And what that means for our daily life and our daily walk. That we walk in the light of a world that has been forever changed by your cross, by your resurrection, by your Holy Spirit. Amen. When we look at the cross through the eyes of Scripture, when I say Scripture, um, I'm talking Old and New Testament. Of course, when Jesus said Scripture, it was just talking about the Old Testament. Same with Paul and the other writers. But when we look at the cross through the images of the cross, there's things that come to our forefront. And there's been many different emphasis on the work of the cross and, and what that did and what that continues to do. And it always depends what angle you're looking at it from. For, for some, the cross is a reminder that they're sinners. It's a reminder that you know, Jesus did this for me, and I, I, I need this, and I needed this. And, and for others, they might think this is Jesus dying in my place, um, taking the punishment for my sin. Um, but there's very different things. And one, one of them I want to pick up is actually the victory that Christ won that day. That highlights the victory of Christ, which was predicted back in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, God's talking to the serpent and he places a curse upon the serpent. And he said, this woman's offspring, you'll bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. That's Genesis 3.15. And in this interpretation or in this viewpoint, we can see that the power of cross is fully realized when we understand what it meant for Christ to have victory over the enemy, over the powers of this world, over that serpent of old. And as we begin to explore through the teachings of Jesus on the kingdom, what it meant for Jesus to be king of uh, the world, they put on his cross, here is the king of the Jews. And 
they wanted to change that. I don't know if you've read that. They said, can't we say that he said he was the king of the Jews? But Pilate was like, no, he's the king of the Jews. And what Pilate probably didn't realize is that he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And had these powers of Rome and Herod, had they known that he was the Lord of glory, they wouldn't have crucified him. They wouldn't have under, but they didn't understand, did they, what they were doing and who they were doing it to. And Jesus even prayed, didn't he, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. And the Romans were pretty good at crucifying people. There were many that came before him saying that they were the Messiah. They were crucified, but they never rose from the dead. And after a little while, they kind of fizzled out and didn't have much attention. But I want to explore the meaning behind the cross when it comes to the kingdom of God. And it's in the kingdom of God is where we find life. The victory on the cross, the resurrection changed everything. There was a power shift in the entire cosmos that reverberated through all time. And Christ on the cross did more than just forgive our sins. He did more than just give us a new start. That cross changed everything. And this is one of the essential things that we need to know as Christians. It's fact that death and rebirth is essential to the Christian understanding of what it means to follow Christ. It's not just Christ's death and resurrection. It's also our death and rebirth along with Christ. And if our understanding that uh, what Jesus did on earth changed everything, then that changes our perspective on how we should live today. But if we have a limited view of the cross, um, maybe we think, okay, well, Jesus died on the cross, his blood forgave me of my sins, and now I get a ticket to heaven. I think is quite a limited view of the work that Christ did, whilst that's true. But I think he inaugurated something, a kingdom on earth, that he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's more than just us thinking, listen, my salvation is secure. I'm out of here. You know, life can be as terrible as it wants. Life can be hell on earth, but at least I'm out of here. And I don't think that's how the Jews kind of thought about things. I think they kind of thought that the kingdom would come. Maybe they thought the king of the Jews would deliver them from the Romans And Jesus was kind of saying, listen, my kingdom's not this earthly kingdom. You need to understand that there's a kingdom of God, a kingdom of heaven that's meant to come to earth, that you're meant to have heaven on earth and not hell on earth. But you don't have to go far to find someone who thinks they're living in hell on earth. And that's not to say that there's not eternal destination of hell and heaven, but actually... I think we're supposed to bring a little bit of heaven here today. And I think that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, you know, the outer darkness and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he talked about this Gehenna, which is the the hell that was outside of Jerusalem. It was outside of the covenant. It was a rubbish heap that was forever burning. And he said, that could be your life on earth or you could live in the heavenly realms. And then we get into talking about the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth, maybe another time. But what does it mean to live here and now within the power of the cross? 
If we just think we're out of here, we can miss out on so much that God has for us. Because something happened on that cross when the king of the Jews was crucified. Something happened to the powers and rulers of the world. Because Christ triumphed over them in his resurrection. And all those other potential messiahs were crucified, but they didn't rise from the dead. They didn't defeat sin and death. They didn't triumph over the powers of darkness in a wider sense. And these powers, these powers of darkness, there might be some modern philosophy or even modern Christian teaching that would say these are just in our imagination, that these are just rooted in superstition, But how many know that there are forces of good and forces of evil in the world? We don't have to look far, and I keep saying that, we don't have to look far to see evil in this world. And and to try and explain that there's something evil behind this, you just watch the news and you think, how could somebody do something like that? Isn't there something evil here at work going on? And we know it every day. But we know as Christians there's something good going on behind the scenes. And we are privileged to be part of it. And I think that's akin to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light in his dear son, in which we have free entrance into his kingdom. But we don't always understand these things with our human understanding. You know, we watch the news and we think, how how is this possible? But when we look at Scripture and we look at what Paul said about warfare and what he said about the powers of darkness, and he was facing uh, enemies of Rome. He was facing enemies of uh, the Jews often wanted to kill him. Just about everybody wanted to kill him, and they had a good go, didn't they, at doing those things. So he had some battles in his life, but Paul knew that the ultimate battle was not against what is flesh and blood but it's against strongholds and the powers of darkness that are out there. But the good news is that Jesus won the victory over those powers of darkness and put all things under his feet in subjection to him. And he gave it to the church. That's Ephesians, isn't it? Maybe I'll get to that in a minute. But Jesus said, didn't he, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mean, we can face the gates of hell. I'm not talking about eternal hell. I'm talking about hell on earth here right now. We can face those things. But Jesus says, I'm building something. I'm building something that is going to last. And when I build something, it stays. It's on solid ground. It has a foundation and it's not going to be shaken. You know when... There's something evil behind what's going to you because of the torment that it brings. You know how someone can say something to you and it's like, yeah, whatever. And then sometimes you can just feel so overwhelmed by it that it's like, I don't understand how this is happening. But naturally speaking, this doesn't feel so painful, but something is ripping into me and it's bringing torment. That is not the Spirit of God bringing you this. Now, I'm not the kind of guy, and if you know me well, I'm not the kind of guy to look for devil and demon just about everywhere. In fact, I'm too busy getting on with the work of God to worry about too much what the enemy's doing. And I'm not one of these, yeah, looking for the devils behind my washing machine breaking down. 
I don't know what the devil does in his daily life, but you know, he's, he's not really interested in my washing machine. Maybe he's interested in taking my eyes off God, causing me to doubt God's word and stop me from trusting in him. Take up the full armor of God, the apostle says, the helmet of salvation. What are you thinking? What do you believe about salvation? Righteousness around your Heart, your breastplate, here, righteousness. Do you know the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Do you have the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. Do you have the Word of God on your side, ready and active, powerful, Hebrews tells us, sharper than two-edged sword. I was going to Colossians, wasn't I? Yes, let's go to Colossians. Have we got that one so we can have that up? Absolutely. As you therefore have received Christ, how many have received Christ? Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. I love that. I could just preach on being rooted. Rooted, where's your grounding? Where's your foundation? Listen, if something's rooted, it ain't moving. It isn't moving. I better say it ain't, not ain't, because my mum might be watching. You know. <laughs> She, she brought me up to speak properly. Rooted and established in, in faith, in him, just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving so that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elements, elemental spirits of the universe and not according to Christ. For in him the fullness of the deity dwells bodily and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. In him you are circumcised with a spiritual circumcision, putting off the body of your old flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your sins and your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your faith, God made you alive with him, when he forgave your sins, your trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, and he sat this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example over them, triumphing them in it. I tell you, that is so rich doctrine. If we could just get some of this thinking into our lives and we could begin to embody what it means to live on the winning side. You know those disciples in those early days, they were facing, uh, following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, following the Holy Spirit coming, and they begin to unpack what had all happened, and they began to write it all down and try and figure out what this meant, and would they continue to follow this Messiah even in the the you know threats of their own life? Will they continue to follow in the way that Christ had taught them or would they kind of pack up and hide out in the Judean desert or something and they could have been justified you think yes Jesus is gone let's just find a little quiet place of the earth and let's die slowly but they didn't have that plan they didn't do that and we read in Acts chapter 4 that they stood firm in the face of the rulers and authorities they They forbid them from speaking even the name of Jesus. And they gather together and they're probably reading Psalm chapter 2 and they begin to pray 
And they said, the Holy Spirit told David, your servant, that the Gentiles rage and the people imagine in vain and the kings took their stand against the Messiah and the Lord. And they say, this is Acts 4.29, and now, Lord, look at their threats and grant your servant boldness. Now, they knew that they were in a battle. They knew because it was right in their face. And maybe today we don't have those kind of threats on our lives. And maybe the attack seems a bit more subtle. But they prayed and the, the place shook, didn't it? Anyway, my first point, continue to live. Continue to live, my first point, is that rooting and being built up in the way that we should live and applying the principles to our daily lives. And how do things change if you know you're already on the winning side? There's a story in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6 where they're facing a massive army. And Elisha prays to the Lord, open the eyes of the servant that he may see that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And the Lord opened his eyes and he saw the armies of heaven. You have a read of the story. But this way of living, knowing you're already on the winning side, knowing that the forces of darkness have nothing on us, Jesus said, didn't he, the prince of this world is coming, but he ain't got nothing on me. You know, Paul wrote to the Galatians, and he talked about being crucified with Christ. He talked about those who belong to Christ. Not only was Christ crucified and Christ rose from the dead, but we, those who belong to Christ, we're in that too. And how do we know that the enemy's got nothing on us is because not only were we Christ crucified, but we were crucified with him. It's Galatians 5, 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires, and they live by the Spirit, and they are guided by the Spirit. Knowing the foundation of our lives is in the cross and we position ourselves within the victory of Christ over the powers um, conspiring against us. This provides us with that rooted and secure foundation. This provides us with purpose that we may speak the word with boldness. This is why Paul can write to the church in Ephesus in chapter 1. Oh, he says so much, doesn't he? He says, I pray that our Lord God, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know him, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened and you may understand the imaginable, immeasurable power of his greatness that's available to us who believe. According to his great power, God put, the work, God put this work, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him with heavenly places far above the rulers, the powers, and gave him all authority and dominion over every name. And he put things, everything under his feet and he made him head over all things so that the church, which is his body, will have the fullness of him. The fullness of God, that was in Colossians, dwells in Christ, and Christ dwells in us. When Christ is seated in heavenly places, we are seated with him. Point number two, God made us alive. 
Not only did we die with Christ, but Christ made us alive. We were once dead, Scripture says, subject to the powers of this world, but now we've been made alive. The power that's working on us is immeasurable. And eternal life, that living that we have, begins right now. Paul says that the Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul considered, you read that in 1 Corinthians 15, he, record, he records that as one of the most essential things that we have to know and believe, that this happened and we happened with it as we are followers and believers and we belong to Christ. Yeah, we were once dead in our sin and trespasses. It's not a bad thing to remember where we've come from, but remember we don't live there anymore. We're not always coming to the cross, always feeling guilty, living that kind of life. No, we're living in a resurrection life because we've been made alive with him. You want to meet my old self, my old sinful self? Well, that's back on the cross. You want to bring a charge against me? Well, those were nailed to the cross and I walk in newness of life. I walk in resurrection life. You know, I am a new creation. No more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand. There's a song about that. We're no longer following the rulers of the power of the air and the spirit that's at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us once lived with the passion of our flesh. This is Ephesians 2. Following the desires of our flesh. We were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who was rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in trespasses and sins, we were made alive in Christ Jesus. By grace you've been saved, raised up with him, seated with him in heavenly places, so that in the age to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards Christ in Jesus. By grace you've been saved, not of your own doing, but it is a gift of God, so no one can boast. Boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared for us. We've been made alive. We have been made alive. I tell you, if our human brains could kind of just grab hold of that and what it means to live in that new life, I think, and that understanding that Christ has done everything and he's changed everything. He's made things possible that were never possible. My third and final point. The ultimate victory of Christ is over sin and death. And death is the last enemy to be destroyed. So many people today are fearing death. You just switch on the news and there's death everywhere. Some people are afraid to go out of their own homes because, and we've saw, seen this in the pandemic and we saw this in recent years, you know, the fear that gripped our society, the anxiety people are facing, that anxiety and depression has become the new pandemic. And of course, in Jesus' time, the powers and the principalities, the power of Rome, but even though it wasn't Rome, there was a real power of darkness behind the Romans, behind those who crucified. And this is where Paul writes to the, to the Roman church, 
And I wonder if that was a difficult church to be in because society around them was was steeped in religion. To be religious was to be Roman. You know, the, the sacrifices and all those things that they had to do to be part of society. And he's writing to them as this new community of believers that are different from everybody else. And of course, we know the church grew because they looked after the poor. They looked after... Um, they took people in, they became, and they just grew and grew as a part of community that other people just wouldn't, wouldn't touch. And he writes to them, and, um, and he, I can't go into it, Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. It's a beautiful piece of work. If you can read that, of how they were caught up in sin. But he was saying, now you belong to Christ, you're dead to sin, and you're alive to Christ. If you read that Romans 6, they were held captive in their flesh and even subject to the law, but they were dead to, dead to sin, dead to the law, and they were alive in Christ. And it wasn't something that they could do in their own person to make themselves a better, a better Christian or better follower of Christ. It was something that Christ had to do through his grace. He wrote to the Galatians in, in chapter 5 and he says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, so stand firm. Do not be cut off from the grace of Christ through the Spirit by faith. We eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. The way out of sin and death is through our own death to sin and our own resurrection. This is how we participate in the ultimate victory of Christ. This is how we do it. Knowing that Christ was raised from the dead, that we might too walk in the newness of life. And this view, Paul's view, is us united with Christ in his death allows us to participate and be united with him in his resurrection. And as we do, we are part of that same victory. The victory that Christ has, is, has, had and has, still has, is one that we can share with. It's one that we can participate in because we know we belong to Christ. We know that even though we die, we shall live. And that sin has no dominion over us. That as death doesn't have any dominion over Christ, the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, and the life he lives, he now lives to God. This is all Romans 6. So because of this, we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And then, although we may be human, sin has no longer any power over us because we're dead to it. And if sin comes calling and saying, come on, let's go and do whatever, um, whatever, I'm trying to think, whatever sins, party harding, uh, hardly, and now we party hardy, now we party hardly, something like that. We see ourselves in Christ. Then sin doesn't have any hold on us, and it gives us the victory. Those who do not know Christ, they cannot help. Paul says that they're slaves to it they're enslaved by it but we present ourselves to God as those 
who have been brought from death to life and we present ourselves to God as instruments of his righteousness and not instruments of the enemy and sin and death. Because of the victory over sin, death has no more power. No more power. You need to read Romans 6 because I'm going to close. When we understand, I mean really understand that we're on the winning side, when we understand the victory that we have, understand that we're part of the church, the people of God. Church means those who are called out. Ecclesia is the ones who are called out. You're part of something that Jesus Christ himself is building. And we know that, don't we? Because we're not just going through life on our own. We're not just struggling. We are entering in to his victory. We're entering in to his resurrection. And we understand what it means to be part of the kingdom of God and we begin to live that kingdom life here and now. And the victory of the cross, uh, the resurrection, how he triumphed over all the powers of this world, that we too are no longer subject to them because we're in Christ. You know, Christ did more than just give us a fresh start and a forgiveness of sin. He changed everything. And the forces of evil that were behind all the powers of this world were brought subject to Christ. And sometimes I feel like I need to step into that victory. You know, if I'm being beaten down and I'm just feeling human and I'm just feeling like everything seems to conspire against me, and there's nothing I can do. I said this a few weeks ago. If there's something you need to change, you need to do, then do it. It's something you can do. But sometimes we feel helpless because we just see ourselves as, as a mere human being. What can I do against the forces of evil that are in this world? Well, the truth is we can't unless we belong to Christ unless we step into the resurrection, unless we step into, I died with him. My old life has gone. Behold, a new life has come, and I'm stepping into the victory where he's saying he's given the victory to the church, and even the gates of hell cannot prevail. Sin and death defeated on the cross brings us to a place of life and life to the full, the abundance life, the eternal life, which begins here and now, and when we understand who we are in relation to the victory that Jesus won on the cross, we too can enter into that victory. Amen? Amen. Let's just close in prayer. Hallelujah. Maybe you don't know what it means to be a Christian or belonging to Christ or however we, we phrase that. And you say, I'm just being beaten up by everything that seems to come my way. And every little foothold I've given the enemy, every little sin that seems to entrap me and ensnare me and I'm just ensnared by addictions and I'm, I'm just struggling, I'm just struggling. I say it's time to come to Christ. 
and say, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I believe that you died for my sin. I believe that I died there with you. That it's no longer my old self. I have been crucified with Christ and the life I live is a resurrected power life. And I want to be part of the kingdom of God. I want to be one of those bringing heaven to earth and not bringing hell to earth. I've had enough of being sick and tired. I've had enough of being down. I've had enough of being beaten up. And I want to step into the victory that Christ has for me. I want to step into that new resurrection life. I want to have that new perspective, that new outlook, that Christ has done this for me and I want to walk in it. If that's you and you've just, you know, you've just prayed that or you've just participated in that, then you know, start to follow Christ. Start to read the scripture. Start to unpack all these things that Christ has for you. See yourself in Christ. See yourself the other side of the cross knowing that you are a new creation. Knowing that you live in the power of his resurrected life. Amen. Amen.